Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. It was Leadership Magazine who polled a thousand pastors in a recent survey and they found this shocking statistic. You know, Ben, what's that? Out of a thousand pastors, 12% of them committed adultery while in the ministry. Ben, what does that mean? It means 120 ministers out of a thousand committed adultery while in the ministry. One out of every eight pastors. And what's even more shocking is Leadership Magazine found that that was 23% of pastors had done something they considered sexually inappropriate. Now, y'all looking at me like, you're the pastor. But listen to this. Listen to this. Christianity Today, the magazine, okay, Christianity Today, they surveyed a thousand subscribers who were not pastors and found that that figure nearly doubled, 23%. 23% said they have committed adultery, while 45% indicated that they had done something they themselves deemed sexually inappropriate. Pastor, what does this mean? One out of four Christians are unfaithful. You see, and this is happening in the church today. Now, these are shocking statistics. Pastors, people. And you might be here going, but Ben, 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 who really reads Christianity today? Who really reads them? And are they completely honest? Well, we might consider that the Christianity Today readers, guys, are, tend to be college-educated. They tend to be church leaders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, and, and even just teachers. And I want you to think about this. If these stats are correct, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Now, here's what we got to remember. When we approach, guys, 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to deal with five major problems. Okay, Paul came in, he planted the church, he loved on the people, he set up leadership, and then he gets a letter. And he really goes, What's going on? He said the first thing was we saw in chapters 1 through 4, we discovered that there were divisions in the church. There were personality cults. I like this guy. I like Apollos. I'm this guy. I'm this guy. And we talked all about that. That was the first one. Paul dealt with that. And then in chapters 5 through 7, Paul addresses some problems. Now listen to this, guys, because he's going to deal with sexual immorality, he's going to deal with singleness, and he's going to deal with marriage. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm like, oh my goodness, because why? We struggle with all of this. Our singles in here are going, man, I don't want to be single, or, or I'm struggling with this. And, and then we got some marriages, and, and Paul's going to talk about that. And I pray for healing and restoration. I pray God do an amazing work. In chapters 8 through 10, he's going to deal with the issue of food, but not just, hey, do you like food? Because I think we all like food. We like to eat. We like tacos, right? Amen? But here's the thing. He's going to say these are the food that are sacrificed to idols. 
and how that affects our walks. And then in chapters 11 through 14, Paul is going to address some issues in their worship, their weekly worship gatherings. So these are issues you go, well, Ben, that was four. What's the last one? Well, in chapter 15, Paul's going to address the issue of the resurrection of Jesus. He goes, guys, you're not, you don't even believe this. You don't even believe this. Come on, man. Well, today, today we start with sexual immorality happening in the church. I got to be honest with you, this is a very tough chapter as Paul begins to to deal with what is going on. So last week, we finished up with with, with problem number one. See, Paul set out to be an example to believers who were struggling, guys, with growing in the Lord. He says, you guys are still carnal. You're still, you're still carnal. You're still babes. You, you guys are wanting to fight with each other. You want to, I want mine. I want mine. No, mine. My teacher. And Paul says, you guys are carnal. I can't even, you can't even begin to grow until, uh, and, and, and he says, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do. I want to love you guys back to life. He says, I know, but listen, listen. And if you recall, in verses 6 through 21 of chapter 4, four, Paul just pours out. He doesn't pour out the wrath of Paul. He doesn't come down on them and go, you guys need to just stop. But he loves them and he encourages them. And Paul says, you could almost say that he was pouring out spiritual happiness into the lives. And he reminds us that the key, listen to this, the key is to love Jesus. The key is to love Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us in his word, you know what the key is? You want to know what the key to, to, just to, to spiritual success? He says, abide in me. That's all he says, abide in me. And the word abide means make yourself, make it like your home. You see, the problem is as we go, hey, you want to be a Christian? All right, let me give you the list of rules. Here it is. This is what you got to do, and this is how you got to look, and this is how you got to dress, and this is how you got to talk. And you need to say amen and brother and hallelujah, amen, here you go. And everybody goes, oh, that's what Christianity is. No, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is that you just got to love Jesus. You just got to love him. Make your home with him. Everything you do goes through Jesus. Lord, would you be happy if I did this? No, okay, then I won't do that. And then just live your life. That's the whole key. See, Paul says the key is to love Jesus, and that's what the whole gospel is. And so again, he says, that's the key. And so Paul says, okay, we got that down. And people are probably stunned with the first four chapters. But now he comes to who he's going to deal with the second problem. You go, what was the second problem? Well, the second problem was, was, again, reported to him. There's immorality in the church. Now listen to this. And the refusal of the leaders to deal with this offender. They're going, no, that's cool. That's cool. The leadership of the church is going, no, 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 no. How sad that such an awful sin should be, listen to this, commonly reported. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Why is it commonly reported and thus ruin the testimony of the church? And Paul is going to give us three reasons why the church had to exercise loving, listen to me, but firm discipline to deal with the offending member. You go, what's that? Well, let's pick it up. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, it is actually reported. Okay? Reported means it's commonly reported. Okay? You know what commonly means? It means people are talking about it in the streets. It's not a secret. They're, They're talking about it. You go, what's that? It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. 
And such sexual immorality is, is it's not even named among the Gentiles. Well, what's the problem, Paul? That a man has his father's wife. You go, whoa, 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 what is he saying? Well, let me give it to you in another translation. It says, now this is actually being said, okay? So in other words, when you go to Walmart or you go to uh, Market Street or you're just hanging out, here's what the buzz of the day is. And it's so terrible, even the heathen aren't doing it. What's that? I am told, he says, that a man is sleeping with his stepmother. You're going, what? Yeah, let's take a moment to unpack this, guys. Paul says, first and foremost, listen, this is the buzz on the street. The Gentiles are talking about it, and you know what they're saying? This is preposterous. Wow. Now, when it says take a a, a father's wife, it could mean, guys, it could mean that it, it, it... that is, it could be a stepmother, it could be a mother-in-law. Most commonly, it's probably, most people believe it's a stepmom who maybe is divorced from the dad. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I mean, this is what's going on in the church. Because he says it's actually reported there is sexual immorality. Okay? The word sexual immorality is the Greek word here is porneia. Porneia. Guys, you know where, where, where we get that? We get our word porn, pornographic. That's where it comes from, Right? And it says, and it refers to, listen, to a, a number of illicit sexual behaviors. Here, it refers to a specific instance of sexual immorality that's going to jeopardize the health of the Corinthian church. Now, this is crazy. This is crazy. Here's what Paul is saying. It's been commonly reported, so it's not gossip or hearsay. There's some weird sexual immorality going on in the church. So gross that even the heathen wouldn't do it. Guys, and you are supposed to be different. You're supposed to be changed. You're accepting it. A man is having sex with his stepmother. What is going on? Now, we need to understand something really quick. To get a good understanding of why Paul is so hot under the collar. Guys, think about this. We must see what God's word says about it. So over in Leviticus 18, verse 8, the word of God says this. Do not have sexual relations with any of your father's wives, for this would violate your father. So it's an admonition right off the bat. Right off the bat. Okay? Well, dad, 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 dad got, dad, dad got divorced, and he's, he's, got a, he's got a good look. Guys, that's, I mean, I don't... This is, this is primetime television, right? This is what people stay home in the afternoon and watch. You, the truth is, did you? No, it's, this is what the Word of God says. He says, don't do that. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, it says, If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. Boom! I didn't say, now, you know, take him out and slap him on the wrist. It's okay. He says, this is, this is heavy stuff. Why? In this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. Guys, this is God's word. So we know this to be serious. This is serious to God. But here's the rub. You guys ready? The church at Corinth is much like the church today. How so, Ben? They say they are actually proud or puffed up 
of the grace given to this man. It's okay. Brother, we're under grace. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, could you think of the pride of this man going, yeah, look at me. Yeah, what are you doing, man? You know what? And the church is like, that's okay, brother. You're under grace. You're all right. That's fine. Do what you want. Listen, I don't care what you did last night. As long as you're here this morning, it's okay. We're all under grace. And, and Paul's going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, look at this. Look at this. He, he tells them here, guys, in verse 2, and you are puffed up. You're puffed up. You go, what does that mean? They were boasting in the fact that their church was so open-minded that even fornicators could be members in good standing. Instead of the church at Corinth, they might have been the open-minded church of God. Come on in. It's okay. Everything's good. Everything's good. It's okay. You guys are puffed up. Paul's going to get really, really, really deep. Guys, this is scary. And you go, why, Pastor? For this will collapse the church. But what does Paul suggest? Notice what he says. He says, you guys are puffed up. He said, but notice what he says here. He says, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. What's the first thing Paul says? He says, guys, you should be mourning over what's happening. You should be mourning. When, when, when you heard the story and, and, and you confronted the fellow and you said, hey, what... Is is this true? Yeah, yeah, man, I'm under grace. No. No. Are you kidding me? When it talks about mourning, guys, it says, "Shouldn't, shouldn't this be breaking your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person in his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Oh, no, Pastor. We don't do that anymore. Here's why. Listen, because we're trying to grow the church. And we got to grow the church. And so we've got to just be, we just got to be open to everybody. Listen, they're all in different walks. Paul's going, no. No. Guys, we should be broken. We should be broken. If you're a note taker, the word for mourning there, guys, it means to mourn over the dead with perhaps the deepest, most painful kind of personal sorrow possible that's what it means you know when somebody dies and you feel that heart you feel like somebody has reached in your heart somebody close and you've pulled out the heart and and that's how empty you feel that's how we should feel when this is going on in the church we should feel so broken and it's just like man we should be to the listen when we're mourning for somebody we love and we lost them guys we don't eat for a couple of days and people always encourage us eat eat i get it but we just don't feel like it and, and we feel so broken and we're tired and we just can't believe this and we're trusting on god but we know that it's a and that's the word he uses he says when this is reported this is how we should be the problem is our culture has told us it's okay We're under God's grace. And yes, thank you for God's grace. But he says, but guys, this is very, very real. This is very, very real. He says, as a matter of fact, I want you to notice the next phrase. He says that this deed, right? What does he say? He says that he who has done this deed 
well, he might be taken away from among you. You guys see that? Verse 2? You know, what is Paul saying? You can, you can circle that phrase right there, and you could write excommunicated right there from the church. Excommunicated. That's what he's talking about. Okay? Now, you might, for a moment, ask, is it biblical to excommunicate a person from church? I thought we were here to build the church. I thought we were to love people back to life. I, I thought we were supposed to just forgive people. Well, what did Jesus say about it? What did Jesus say? Because I want to go to the word. And he said, according to Matthew chapter 18 in verse 15, you could turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Ben, why do you want me to turn there? Because I want you to see what Jesus actually said so you know that I'm not making this up. Okay? I don't have time to go through the whole story, but notice what he says in verse eight, verse 15 of chapter 18. Matthew 18 and 15, Jesus is speaking. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. This is Jesus' way of restoring health in the church. If my brother sins against me, then I need to go to him alone. And I need to tell him. Brother, this is... And the response should be, Oh, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't realize. Brother, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And that should be it. I forgive you, brother. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We, we've all done that, right? Somebody brings our sin to our attention. We're like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that. But Jesus, okay, okay, now listen. He says, but, but if he will not hear you, <laughs> you're crazy. I didn't do that. What does he say? He says, take two or what? One or two more with you, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay, he doesn't want to listen to you, so you get two others, two other brothers in the Lord. You say, okay, here's what we see going on. The Bible says, if he doesn't listen, notice what he says. If he refuses to hear, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even, right, hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. We have to excommunicate him out of the church. It's called church discipline nobody uses church discipline anymore. That's not love. That's not love. Because if you have a brother who's sinning, and he's sinning, the goal is to restore him back to a relationship with God. And even part of that might be, as hard as it is, guys, it is super hard to say, hey, you're not welcome here until you get this right. The only time I was ever part of a church discipline, I'll never forget, man, I was the usher at Calvary in Santa Fe. I was the usher, right? I'm a new guy, and I'm just ushering. I'm like, hey, welcome to Calvary, giving out bulletins. And, and the pastor comes to me and goes, hey, you know this person? And I go, yeah, I know this person. Um, he goes, you don't need to know the details, but he's in sin. And if he walks in the door, you need to escort him out the door. Huh? Yeah, it's church discipline. Just ask him. He's not welcome here. That's what you need to do. I'm like, I just signed up for bulletins. I don't want to be the, the bad guy here. He didn't show up that day, thank God. He didn't show up that day. 
the point was is that he wasn't welcome here. Now, here's the attitude of those that are sitting. Well, I'll just go to another church. But the attitude of the leadership at the church should go, listen, if we find out where you're going, we're going to call that pastor and let him know what situation you have here because, because we want to restore a brother. We need to restore him. But we don't do that anymore. Paul says you need to, you need to excommunicate him. And you need to treat him like a heathen and a tax collector. And I'm telling you right now, you're going, yeah, treat him like a tax collector. The problem is, is that, guys, whenever there's a tax collector or a heathen, your heart is you want to win him to Christ. So you're not, you're not, you're not being like, well, listen to me. You need to write this down. The context is restoration, not right? Not damnation. The point isn't to shame someone to the place where you're like, man, it's to restore them. Heathen and tax collectors and the people, guys, they need Jesus. But let me take you back in your mind just a little bit. Let me take you back in your mind just a little bit. Remember the problem in in the first four chapters with the Corinthian church? It was the fact that they did not fully understand the gospel. They didn't grasp it. To them, a lot of the, the message of the cross was foolish. They didn't understand. And I didn't, we don't understand the full God. We don't really get it. And when we really get it, we go, oh, yes, it is the power of God to those of us being saved. Amen. And we're so excited because we know that the gospel heals. We know that the gospel comforts. We know that the gospel saves. We know that the gospel, what, it validates us. We know that the gospel is everything. And so, again, they, they missed it. Paul is teaching the same thing, guys. Paul is teaching the same thing. Look at verse 3. He says, For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together among with my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, guys, I'm already there. I mean, listen, if I was there, I would have already dealt with this. And I like what Pastor Warren Wearsby writes concerning the things we should do uh, when it comes to sexual immorality, guys, within the church. Number one, we need to mourn over our sin. And number two, he says we need to judge that sin. And then number three, he says, we need to purge that sin. Now, this is in the realms of the church. Paul is talking to the church. But when we take a little bit personal look at our lives, guys, think about it. Think about it. If 12% of every pastor and 23% of every churchgoer has committed adultery or is some way inappropriate sexually, then we need to do the same thing. We need to realize that it's sin and we need to mourn over that sin. We don't just go, oh, well, yeah. Men, I know it's hard. Everything in our lives is sexual. Every commercial, every, you want to sell newspapers? Sex. You want to, I mean, that's what it is. We get it. But the problem is that even women these days are going, are, are actually falling into that realm of sexual immorality. And it's just like, wow, it's the world we live in. Here's what, here's what we need to mourn for. We need to mourn for our kids because they're growing up in a whole different world. 
our babies. <sighs> well, what should we do, Pastor? When you mourn, judge it. It's wrong. Get it out. Get it out. Please, please, please don't have a pet sin because it'll grow and it'll kill you. That's okay. That's okay. It's my listen. Listen. It's okay. It's my pet. It's my little thing. See, no, no. You're looking at my pet. Don't look at my pet. This is my pet, and he does not. Not going to hurt anything, and I'm not hurting you. It's my pet, and that pet's going to grow up, and it wants to choke me, and it wants to kill me. You understand that? He says, "Kill that thing, man. Judge it and purge it." And that's what he's going to write to the church. He says, man, I tell you what I would do, even though I'm not there in person, consider me right there with you because I fully see what's going on. And I'm telling you, this is wrong. When it comes to the church and it comes to our lives, we must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. It'll be all right. Guys, we need to bring it out in the open and deal with it in the authority of Jesus with the goal of restoring. This is what he means by, I'm going to judge the sin. I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to deal with it. You go, Ben, what should we do? Well, look what he says, verse 5. He says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Say, what? You got a dude in the church sleeping with his stepmom, and Paul says, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And you're going, okay, now, now we need to talk about this, man, because there's a part of us going, yeah, kick that dude out. But really, what if we were that dude? He goes, we go, what do you mean? What does he mean? What does he mean? What does he mean deliver? What does it mean to deliver a Christian unto Satan? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. You guys ready? It doesn't mean to deny him or rob him of his salvation because, because the church doesn't grant salvation. What do you mean? We don't go, hey, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're just not saved. You're not saved. That, who, who are you to? You guys know what I'm talking about. But it does mean this. It means to put him out of fellowship with God and those in the church with the hopes of being fair game for Satan that he would repent and return to the Lord. Okay? The sole purpose of deliver such a one is repentance. Everybody say repentance. Forgiveness and restoration. That's the goal. That's the goal in your preacher's life. That's the goal in the member's life. That's the goal in everybody's life. Repentance. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. And that's what he's saying. You go, well, Ben, he uses a harsh word. He uses the word destruction. Well, if you have a pencil handy, you need to know this. You go, what's that? It doesn't mean annihilation. Okay, he's not saying annihilate the dude, but he's actually using the word ruin. Okay, bring him to ruin. Bring him to ruin. Bring him, let him out there for Satan's fair game. And when he realizes that he doesn't have God's fellowship and God's protection, he will turn and run back to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's going to talk about this later on in in 1 Corinthians 11.30. He says, for this reason, here's the problem. Many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. He says a lot of them, man, they, 
right? They're ruined. They're ruined. I have this down in my notes, and you can write it down if you want to, but this really convicted me because it says this. Listen, persistent sin often leads to physical punishment. Persistent sin. The Bible calls it habitual sin. Something we keep doing. Something we keep doing. I'm fine. I'm fine. You go, Ben, 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 why would, why would we deliver one to, such a, to Satan? Well, let me give you a reason, guys. You can jot this down. Acts 26 and 18. It says this. You are, open, or you are to open the eyes and turn from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God so that through their faith in me, they will have their sins forgiven and receive their place among God's chosen people. This is why we want to excommunicate them. That's a tough chapter, guys. This is the tough tough chapter. 45% of churchgoers confessed to some some, some form of sexual inappropriateness. And listen, I'm all for the inspiration message. I'm all for the rah-rah. I'm all for get out there. You guys are champions and victors. But here's the problem. This is going on in the church at Corinth, and it's going on in the church today. And what God wants to do is he wants to get a hold of our hearts so that we can live pure, holy, and clean lives before him. And we can be those men of integrity. We can be the women of integrity. And that's what he's talking about right here. It's a serious stuff for God. They go, well, Ben, what should we do? Well, he's going to tell us, he's going to give us the remedy in verses 6 through 13, where he says, we need to purge the sin. Purge the sin. And I love, I just love the way Paul, guys, he takes us back to the word of God. Why? Because if you're taking notes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to illustrate the Passover supper. And of course, one of the requirements of the Passover feast is to purge the leaven. Out of the, out of the, no leaven, right? No leaven anywhere. Well, Ben, what, what is it with leaven? Jot this down. Leaven is a picture of sin. Leaven is a picture of sin. And he says this, sin separates us from God. Leaven is a picture of sin. Notice what he says in verse six. Your glory, guys, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Say, what? Do you guys catch that? A little leaven, just a little bit in your life. It's going to leaven everything. Is anybody in here knows how to make bread the old-fashioned way, right? Not in the bread maker where you put it in the old-fashioned way. Larry does. See, Larry's awesome. But you take a little bit of yeast and you put it, and guess what it does? It actually what? The, the word is ferments, and, and then the, 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 the whole thing grows. I mean, it's just, and it leavens the whole loaf, right? And you stick it in the oven, you eat it, and then you put butter on it. So good. But anyways, that's not the point. The point is leaven is a type of sin. But let me just say this to you. Listen to me, okay? Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Paul says this. He says, guys, you know a little leaven leavens the whole up. Well, Paul, what should we do? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. 
that you may that you may be a new lump. How many of you want to be a new lump? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, "I'm a new lump." I just love that. I'm a lump. I want to be a new lump. Since truly you are unleavened, for indeed Christ is our Passover, which was sacrificed for us. What does Paul say? Purge out the sin in your life. Purge out the sin in the church. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord Jesus for restoration. Paul says, therefore, let us keep the feast, guys, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Guys, he says, man, listen, this is how our walk should be. He says, listen, we can't be Christians, guys, with with a little bit of malice in us and a little bit of wickedness in us. And he says, man, no, 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 listen, you're a new lump. You're a new lump, a new lump of purity. But Ben, but Ben, listen, listen here's what's going to happen, Ben. I'm going to go home and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get comfortable and I'm going to put on the football game and inevitably they're going to show the cheerleaders. And then, and then there's going to be a commercial and whatever they're going to sell, it's going to, I, I, I get it. But yes, I, I understand that, guys. I understand that. But our brother Job, our brother Job said that we must, he said, listen, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust for a woman. I made a covenant, I said. I'll never forget this story as long as I live. Nathalie and I were first married, and we decided to go get something to eat. And so while I was waiting for it, I went in the restaurant, but I parked right in front where she could see me in the window. And I don't even know if it was a scadly dressed woman or whatever came walking in, and, and I was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just trying, you know. I mean, I knew she was behind me looking, but I was just like, no, because I made a covenant with my eyes. And she remarked when I got in the car, she said, man, I saw you looking up. I said, I know, I just... Uh-uh. 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 If we're being honest in church, if we're being honest in church, it does happen to us men. And we lust and we look at somebody and we and and, and we think, listen, it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't no, nah, it's no you know, and, and let me just say this to your wives. I'm going off here on my solo wives. Never tell your husband, you can read the menu, you just can't order. No. No. You can look, just don't touch. No. That's not what God's Word says. But if you do struggle, if you do struggle, have that honest and open relationship with your wife where you can say, man, I, I, sweet, I'm struggling today. I don't know what it is. Pray with me. Talk to me. And wives, don't get upset. This is the world we live in. Husbands, don't get upset. This is the world we live in. And so the point is, is guys, as we, we, we band together in the name of the Lord Jesus and we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. I know a little leaven. I want to walk in this. And then Paul says in verse 9, moving on quickly, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. They go, what's he saying? Well, guys, this could mean that Paul actually wrote a previous letter to the Corinthians. And, and they could have wrote it there. We don't have that letter. Or simply looking ahead in chapter 
in chapter 10. He said, but, but here's the point. He said this, listen. He said, don't keep company with a sexually immoral people. Don't hang out, guys. Don't hang out. Listen to me. He's not referring to the sexually immoral people in the world. We, we hang out. We work with them. We, we see that, okay? He's not, he's, that's our mission field. But he says, but to those who say, I'm a Christian and participate in sexual immorality, hanging out with those guys, doing those things. But let me even take it a step further. Let me even take it a step further, okay? And then we'll go back to verse 10. A lot of times when you're up here, Paul, come on up here for a second. Paul's going to come up. I'm going to demonstrate, okay? We're hanging out. Paul's going to stay right here. Now, listen, Paul's a pretty tough dude. And if I were going to say, Paul, listen, I'm a Christian. You're, you're, you're walking in sin. I love you, brother. I want you to come up here. I'm going to try to pull Paul up. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have a hard time getting Paul up the stairs if Paul, what's, what's, where's the leverage going to be, guys? It's easier for Paul to pull me down in his level. So what am I getting? Am I going to hang out with Paul? I'm going to hang out. I love Paul. Come on, Paul, get on up here. Paul's like, nope, see? And guess what? And here I am. Thank you, Paul. And here I am struggling in the same way. Don't, don't, don't hang out with those. Love them. Love them. But guys, they're going to. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Listen, I want to win them to Jesus. And Paul says, listen, I've already told you. He says, man, those in the world, man, love them, pray for them. And when they're sitting here going, hey, we're all going out tonight. You want to come? You go, no, 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 that's not for me, man. That's not for me because, no. No, I, I lived in that world before and it's, ah, oh, you're a goody two-shoes. Nah, call me what you want, but I just know where I'll end up. And then they turn around, they go, man, I wish I had what you had. Okay, let's go. And they're out the door. But, but there's something in us, guys. There's something in us. Paul says, I, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet, I certainly didn't mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since, since then you need to go out of the world. What did he say? They're all over. Right? He says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetousness, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner. He says, don't even eat with such people. Can you imagine, tell me what it would look like in your life if you had a brother and you went out to eat together, and all he did is brag about all the sexual partners he's had that month. Oh, and I was with this girl, and we did this, and you're like, but bro, you're a Christian. And they would look at you and go, judge not, lest you be judged. You go, no, thank you taking that scripture out of context, bro. He says, but, but you're a believer. He says, you know, we would feel so awkward. We would feel so, but and he says, don't, don't do that. You go, well, Pastor, what, what's, what's the point? Okay. Listen, I know we have a huge problem in our world, right, and in the church. 
today with pornography. I get it. But the real question comes down to, it: are you struggling with it? Are you struggling with it? Can you watch it and it not bother you in any way, shape, or form? You see, because there are those that are going, man, no problem. Man, sh- yep, sh- this is what we do. This is who I am. But, if, but the point is, is that then, then there's something wrong in your heart. But if it's pornography or lust or anything sexual, immoral, if you're struggling, it's like, oh, I hate my, I don't want to do that. I hate it when I do, oh, man, pastor, please pray for me. Oh, okay, I'm going to try it again this week. Guys, you're struggling, and that, that means you're, you're working. You're, it, it bothers you. It bothers you. Now, here's how it usually happens, okay? Here's how it usually happens. You'll usually watch pornography. You'll feel convicted. You'll get angry. Listen to me. You'll get angry, and then you'll take out the anger on your dog or your wife or your friends or anything else. And you have no idea why you're so angry, but the the, the reason is you're really angry at yourself because you know better. And the Holy Spirit inside you is convicting. You're like, oh. And you go, why am I so angry? Oh, okay. Run to Jesus and repent. Run to Jesus and repent. Now, here's what you need to understand. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that. Listen to this. Listen to this. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, at that moment... God loses all reality. Satan doesn't fill us with the hatred of God, but with the forgetfulness of God. You got, that's deep, and you go, why? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, at that moment, whether you look, lust, watch pornography, whatever it might be, he said, Satan isn't going, man, you hate God, right? Because there's a lot of brothers that go, no, I love Jesus. But what he does is he fills you with the forgetfulness of God. God's not even here. And so that, that's how you watch it. When marriages are struggling, when marriages are struggling, you'll have the husband and the wife go, no, we love each other. And you go, well, if you loved each other, why would you do that? That's not the point. See, at the moment of weakness, the devil has filled that man or that woman with the forgetfulness of who his wife is or the forgetfulness of who her husband is, that doesn't mean they don't love him. And that's exactly what the devil does. And I try to tell people, hey, could you, could, could you do what you're going to do and then look at your wife's face? Could you see the hurt? Could you picture the hurt on her face right now? No, well, that's the hurt she's going to have if you go on with this. Listen, I'm not... I'm not, right? I'm not exempt to this. I think the same thing. Could I look at my precious wife, Nathalie's face, if I did something dumb? Could I sit across at our kitchen table and watch her just cry and cry for something? I, I can't do it, guys. I can't do it. Why? I don't want the forgetfulness of God, nor do I want the forgetfulness of my wife. But the point is, is that God still loves you, and you still love God. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. And then Paul finishes up this way, guys, for what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? 
Do you not judge those who are on the inside, but those on the outside God judges? Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Paul tells us the church should leave the judgment of unbelievers to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. But he also says concentrate on settling its own house in order. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny when believers go, judge not lest you be judged, yet God tells us we need to judge believers? With the goal of restoration, right? With the goal of, hey, man, this, is, this, this could end up, this could be potentially dangerous for you. Be careful. This could be, well, judge not. You're judging me. I'm not judging you, brother. I love you, and I want to see you grow, and I don't want to see, you know, I don't. Oh, church, if we could get back to mourning our sin and mourning the sin of the church and having broken hearts. Well, that's the end of this chapter, but it's not the end of our story. We'll have to close here and pick it up again next week. So as we close, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Some of us might be here going, man, pastor, you were talking to me, and and I don't know what to do, and please help me. Well, in a book um, that I'm reading, um, Art Kent Hughes gives us seven things, guys, that that we can place, we can put into place right now if we find ourselves um, like like the leadership or the men in Corinth. You go, what can we do? Okay, So, so if you're taking note, you need to jot these down. You go, what is it? Number one, you need to have accountability accountability. Mainly be accountable to your wife. If you go, well, Ben, I can't talk to my wife or my husband. Make sure you have a good friend that you can talk to that you trust with. That's, that's accountability. That's the first thing. Okay. Number two, he says prayer. He says we need the discipline of prayer. Make sure you're not just praying five minutes before as you go into work, but really praying and asking God to help you with this. He says the third thing you can do is memorization. What's the best thing to do? Fill your heart and mind with God's word. So when you're tempted, you can overcome it with the word of God. Didn't Jesus do that? It is written. Number four, he says mind. Maintain a pure mind. Guys, take every thought captive unto the glory of God. Maintain a pure mind. R. Kent Hughes writes, in one, listen to this, in one week, you will watch more murders, adulteries, and perversions than our grandfathers read about in their entire lives. In one week. Be careful what you put in your eye gate, guys. Be careful what you put in your mind. Number five, hedges. Put those hedges all around your life. Guard your eyes, guard your ears, watch what's on your phone, be careful with texts, emails, flirtation. A little flirting didn't hurt anybody. How you doing? He says, no, 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 no. Those are, you got to put hedges. You got to put hedges. Number six, he writes reality. Be real about your struggle. If King David can fall, so can you. 
A lot of times we go, no, I'm good. I'm, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. And inside you're going, I'm dying. He says, be real. Be real. Hey, man, I struggle with this. I struggle. That's okay, man. I struggle. I struggle. And then last but not least, he writes divine awareness. Know that God is with you and in you and be disciplined enough to always remember God in your life. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph did, right? Joseph said, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Wow. Wow. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.